Yo, 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 Thought Warriors. What is up? The Oscar Award nominations came out. Okay. Your reaction? Were you surprised? Were you... Um, or was it just typical? Typical what happens with the Oscar nominations where usually women and people of color are disappointed? It's an interesting year. We'll get right into it. Let's get into it. Pleasantries. Well, let's have well, many pleasantries. Yeah, actually we should because we have good news. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, you, you guys. Uh, we got to let you guys know we, in, for the second year in a row, we've been nominated for an NAACP Image Award. Yeah, give it up. To the All entire right. team, thank you guys so much. And guys, you have to vote. So we'll put that out there. You need to vote. You have to vote. At th- this time, we want to win. And here's the thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we can't have you saying we- fuck LeVar Burton again. <laughs> yeah, here's the thing. Here's the thing. We want to win this time. Okay, last time we didn't make a big deal about it. This time we want you to vote. And I just want to call somebody out right now. The Ringer has a decision to make because nominated <laughs> in the same category with us is the Bakari Sellers podcast. Bakari, Congratulations to me. him as well. Fuck that nigga. Bakari, I know you can hear me. Coming for you. Well, we're coming for you, Bakari. Okay, we're coming for you, Bakari. Right now, we want to win. It's, I, 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 we we understand that it's all about uh, celebrating everyone and each one teach one, pull each other up by the bootstraps, each other's straps, and we want to be together, the Rainbow Coalition and all of this stuff, Dr. King. Yeah, wrong. Right now, dog eat dog, crap in the <laughs> barrel. There can only be one statue when it's coming home to HL. So, Bakari? Bro, you got enough. Bakari already got enough, guys. Bakari been on CNN for a long time. Bakari been in the Congress. Bakari been doing all of this stuff. He know Bill Clinton. He know Hillary Clinton. He know Jesus. He know all of these people. Bakari already got enough. It's our time. Well, Coming for you, Bakari. Listen, Bakari, congratulations to you. I'll say it. But also, we were nominated last year. So this friend. is our year. <laughs> like, Congratulations to all the nominees. It means a lot to be recognized. We absolutely want to win. And uh, we're going to be asking for your vote, for your votes, <laughs> and we're going to be asking for votes all over the place. Go and vote. As soon as we have more information on how you vote and where you vote and when you vote, I know that you vote on the NAACP site. Got to vote. Got to vote this time. We're trying to win. We're trying to take. I'm trying to add a trophy to the case, baby. Um. Okay. So back to the Oscars. Uh. I want to first. I got to shout out my friends. I'm sorry, guys. I- I'm sorry. First, I got to shout out my friends. American Fiction, Court Jefferson. Five Academy Award nominations for Court. Oh my God! Five Academy Award nominations for is Court for, his, for American Fiction. Is this his directorial debut? It's his first it's fucking movie. That's incredible. Oh my Lord! We are on top of the world. Five Academy Award nominations for Court: Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Picture. Best Actor, Jeffrey Wright. Best Supporting Actor, Sterling K. Brown. Um, And I think Best Composer or something like that they also got. If you guys have not seen American Fiction, you must see American Fiction. I could not be more proud of Cord, of Tracy Ellis Ross, of Jeffrey, of uh, Sterling K. Brown, everybody involved in the film. 
just a fantastic achievement for Cord in his first movie, The Sky's the Limit, brother. Oh my God, man. Enjoy it all. What an amazing, 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 amazing accomplishment for your first movie. Did you read the book? Mm-mm. I never know there was a book. I saw the movie for the first time uh, like a year and a oh, half ago. Oh, no. Over at Hold on, let me tell you. It's based off of a book. A book called, it, it, yeah, it's book, a book called, the book's called uh, Erasure. Erasure, yes, yeah, yes, I, yes, thank you. Yeah, I had never, uh, I'd never read the book before, never even heard of it, but screened it for us a year and a half ago. We went and we saw it. Uh, it just everyone over at T Street, just they were so supportive of him. It's filmmaking the way it should be done. So shout out to Cord. Uh, Oppenheimer nominations, huge nominations. Um, Killers of the Flower Moon, ten nominations. Uh, nothing for Leo. Mm-hmm. Nothing for Leo. Which there was a lot of hype that he was. This was like his best performance ever. So that's interesting. But more importantly, Lily Gladstone became the the first Indigenous woman to get an Oscar nomination, uh, and that's huge. Hoping that Incredible. she wins. Um, you know, other places there are a lot of movies. Very tough year. Poor Things was nominated. The story becomes Barbie, though. Barbie. Barbie becomes the story uh, when you look at it. Um, and Color it, Purple. People, there was a lot of talk about that. Sorry. Was there? There was, yes, there was. A lot of people. Okay. But like, go ahead, talk about Barbie and we'll move into Color Purple. I just don't want well, let's talk about to Color Purple. Let's, let, let's talk about Color Purple first then. So I, I didn't hear as much outrage over Color Purple. Not well, because you nominated. don't like it. And that's why. It's because you're not, you don't like I the movie. I didn't see it. I know. I didn't see it. You didn't even take the time. Yeah. You bought tickets, actually, but you didn't, actually, you didn't go see actually, it. Actually, no. Actually, I did see it. Here's the thing. I uh, just watched it. Um, uh, it, it. It's not that I didn't like the movie. It's just that I wasn't really upset that the movie wasn't nominated for a bunch of different Oscars. Okay, well, a lot of people had expectations that it would be. Um, a lot of people, I thought, I, I it got one nomination. I think... I. I don't want to say this wrong, so Donnie, please correct me, but Fantasia was not nominated. No. Um, a lot of people thought Fantasia would. Some people thought Taraji would. I did not think Taraji would. Um, I thought Coleman would, but he was nominated for a different movie. Rustin. Um, yes, he was nominated for Rustin Best Actor. I thought he would have been nominated for Best Supporting Actor for um playing Mr. in Color Purple. A lot of people were upset that it wasn't nominated for Best Picture. So and the nominees for Best Picture were <laughs> The Holdovers, American Fiction, Zone of The Zone of Interest, Barbie, Oppenheimer, Poor Things, Past Lives, Anatomy of a Fall, Ma- Maestro, Killers of the Flower Moon. Those were the nominees. And not even so, for Best Original Song. And I don't know if it could be, so I don't want to be- say that wrong because I don't know. I don't know if that counts that it came from the musical. So I, I have no idea. But um, I thought Fantasia's song "I'm Here" should have been nominated in that category as well. So I think, especially because, especially when you hear interviews and you hear Fantasia talk and how she almost turned down this role because of everything it brings out of her, um, because of the themes that she can relate to her own life, how much it takes out of her. You just and her performance is incredible. 
as well as Danielle Brooks. Now, I would have been shocked. I'm sorry, Danielle Brooks stole the show to me. She deserves she, that. She was nominated. She was yes, nominated. No, no, yeah. I know. She deserves that nomination, and I really hope she wins. I really, really do. Um, but I'm I'm shocked at, at, at that the color purple didn't get more. I am. I was a big Stacked fan of year. It. Yeah. Stacked year. Stacked year. A lot of these movies are very good. Stacked year. Um, but yeah, Barbie had a lot of people talking because Greta Gerwig was not nominated for Best, Best Director. Director. Yeah. Barbie was nominated for Best Picture. Uh, Ryan Gosling was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. I knew it. Um, yeah, he was fantastic. He was great. Yeah, he was, he was fantastic. <laughs> uh, best Original Screenplay, Best Adapted Screenplay, should I say, because they, they ruled it adapted. So because of Barbie's IP. So Best Adapted Screenplay, it was nominated for. And then it got two nominations in Best Song. I'm Just Kin was nominated. And that shouldn't have been What Was I Made For, an absolutely beautiful song by Billie Eilish was also nominated. It plays at the end of the movie. Uh, but a lot of people are talking about the fact Greta Gerwig was not nominated for Best Director, which is a very tough category for women over the course of the history of the Oscars, have been nominated very much and have won even le- less than, obviously, than they've been nominated. People were saying that between her and Margot Robbie, there should have been nominations for both Best Actress and Best Director. I did not think that Margot Robbie should have been nominated for Best Actress. Um, I'm not saying she didn't do well. I'm not saying I wasn't, it was, it was great. But even when I walked away from that movie, I knew Ryan Gosling was going to be more on track to get a nomination than her. There wasn't anything that was, the movie itself was good and great, but her performance, I thought didn't rise to that level, in my opinion. So I wasn't shocked that she didn't get it. Now, Greta Gerwig, that was shocking to me. I don't understand how a movie... First off, she's directing it. This movie had so much hype. It ruffled so many feathers. It had explored so many themes. There were move like, I mean, it was, it was a movement in itself and she was at the helm of it. And I don't understand mm-hmm. how that isn't rewarded with a, at least a nomination in regards to um, best director. I just don't. You? Uh, you saw it. Yeah. So... Uh-oh. Margot Robbie, for people saying that Margot Robbie isn't nominated, she is nominated. She's nominated as the yes. producer of the movie. So she's nominated for uh, for Best Picture. If Barbie were to win Best Picture, which it won't. It won't. But if it were to win, if it were to win Best Picture, Mar- Margot Robbie would win an Academy Award. Um, so I always look at this, this stuff based upon what it is, which is a popularity slash contest of art, right? So when you're looking at the directors that were nominated for Best Director, you're looking at Jonathan Glazer, Christopher Nolan, Yorgos Lanthimos, who directed Poor Things, Martin Scorsese, and Justin Trier, Justine Trier, okay? There's a lady there. It's a woman. She's nominated for Anatomy of a Fall. All right. The question for me is always this. Did you see these movies? If you saw these movies, which I'm not talking directly to you, Rachel. If you saw <laughs> these movies, uh, which 
job of directing here do you feel like Greta Gerwig was superior to? When you look at the actresses, did you see the performances? Which ones of the performances did you feel like Margot Robbie carried better than Emma Stone, Lily Glad, not, not Emma Stone, Lily Gladstone, Annette Benning, Carrie Mulligan, or Sandra Hiller? And let me tell you something. I do think there's one in there. Oh. Annette Benning, and Lily Gladstone was nominated for Best Actress, not Best Supporting Actress. Annette Benning in Nyad. Guys. Nyad was an abomination. But was her acting? They were both they, they, they were both nominated. Nyad is not an Oscar movie. I could have definitely seen a nomination for Margot Robbie or even Fantasia over Annette Benning and Nyad. I saw Nyad. Nyad is fucking stupid. Let me tell you something. Nyad, let me tell you. Both there were two movies that came out, two biopics that came out that were laughable this year. Okay. One was Nyad, and the other one was Ferrari. You guys ever see movies where a character in the movie is acting in another movie? No. Give me an example. Like uh Entourage. I'm sure some of you guys on here have seen Entourage. Have you guys seen Entourage? You ever watch the show, Entourage? I might have seen one episode. Donnie, have you seen Entourage? What, 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 <laughs> what, 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 like, what am I, like, where, who am I doing a podcast with? No, it ain't a movie like, or TV well, like, show like, podcast. Like, well, Sorry. Like, like, what, what are you, what have you guys, what have you guys, what have you guys, are you guys up on shit? Like, who, like, okay, Bo, Bo, like, hold on, Bo no, Finger, no, no. okay, have you guys, have you guys seen Tropic Thunder? Yes. Okay. All right. So you've seen Tropic Thunder. Okay. You know how in Tropic Thunder, they're making fun of Robert Downey Jr.'s character and then they yes. show the character in the movie acting in another movie and the movie is ridiculous? Mm -hmm. That is what Nyad and fucking Ferrari were like. It's like Vinny Chase is fucking uh, Pablo Escobar. Like the movies are like laugh, these laughable over-the-top biopics that are like really to me stupid in a, almost a spoof lampoon type of way. Ferrari wasn't recognized for it. Uh, Maestro wasn't that. Maestro wasn't that. Could have been, but it was reined in. Maestro wasn't that. Nyad, I could not believe that they were, that they were nominated for the Nyad movie. I like, shout out to Diana Nyad and the swimming and whatnot. I could not believe that they were nominated for the Nyad movie. Couldn't believe it. Both of them got nominations. Couldn't believe they were nominated. I just, I was, I was shocked. But Hillary Clinton and a lot of ladies are mad about the Barbie snubs. They feel like they should have they, they, they should have been nominated more or they should have been uh, leading the nominations. And they feel like the biggest nomination was for Ryan Gosling's performance as Ken. And they're upset about it. Rachel, are you upset about it? No. I mean, I think I said this on this podcast. If I didn't, I've said it to friends. I saw the Barbie movie a week after it came out. So there was a lot of hype. I thought the movie was good. I didn't think it was amazing. I didn't, I, I, I just wasn't, I'm honestly shocked that, I'm honestly shocked that America is nominated for a supporting actress. Um, and, I, and I'm saying this, and I didn't even see the other movies, okay? I, I mean, I've seen some, but like not most of them. Um, 
I just I think Greta deserved a nomination, but because to me Margot Robbie's role in bringing it to life was more important than her playing Barbie. You know, this was an idea she had. She really fought for this and and from idea to being, you know, this extremely successful movie. To me, that deserves a nomination as well, which is what she got. But um, I also think that it's on brand for people to be outraged as well. It fits the narrative of, you know... Um, Women not getting recognized the same way. It fits the narrative of, you know, this is a woman, a movie about women empowerment. And Ryan Gosling is the one who gets nominated instead of Margot Robbie. I just think it's it seems to be, as I said, on brand for people to be um, outraged at this. I'm not outraged. I think it's odd Greta wasn't. But I'm not. For director. Because she was for, director, for a screenplay, for director, which for director, for director. she was a, a nominated for screenplay uh, along with her Be- Noah Baumbach. Because there was who, there were a lot movie. of moving parts. I felt in Barbie, and um, you know she was at the helm of it. So I don't know, but Greta, yes. The rest, no. We're gonna bring on Trayvon Free, friend of mine, partner of mine, and we're gonna do more robust talks about the Oscars as award season heats up. But I will say this. Um, I think it's interesting that the Ken part, which was the best part in the movie, was the best part in the movie. I think that deserves some examination of why it was the best part in the movie. The Ken part was the best part in the movie. It You leave the movie, <clears throat> his performance was fantastic, but you leave the movie thinking, wow, that's the type of role that someone takes that is a lot of fun that you bring a lot to that you can get a lot out of. Barbie almost in a way played the straight man uh, so that Ken could get his shit off. And I I think it's an interesting thing because I thought about this a lot to think about how male-centered things really are. Like the movie doesn't work without Ken. Right. The, it, 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 it doesn't, the movie works, the movie almost works you could almost take Barbie out of the movie before you could take Ken out of it. No. And, and I mean, it takes away from the me, point of the movie. It, it does. It takes away from the point of the movie. It does. But at the same time, what I mean to say about that is that how I mean that is the part of the, the, the point of the movie is the Barbie character finding who she who she is outside of the world that's been made but the only way that she can do that is through the lens sure. of masculinity and hypermasculinity and toxic masculinity so in a way in the Barbie movie masculinity and men are still centered well yes sorry go ahead no i mean that's it i mean well, that, it, it they're that's, centered so what I because what you I have away, to call it out Right. Like you have to you have to recognize the it it is the problem. It is the issue. And so it is centered because you're calling out this very problematic thing. And you do that through the lens of Barbie. Yes, it is Ken who's guiding you through it, but you do it through the lens of Barbie. So if they're one there, you can't have one without the other. It's true. It's it's just an interesting thought, because sometimes when I'm talking to other black people, Negroes. (laughs) 
the conversation becomes, how do we have a conversation about us without like centering white people? Right? Like, how do we have a conversation about us without coming back to how we're being treated by people who aren't us? Mm. And it's it's a it's a conversation to have, right? It's that moving. And and well, also in these white movies, right? 12 Years a Slave. You watch the movie and it's about everything that the guy went through. But then at the end, Brad Pitt comes into the movie and Brad Pitt is the savior of the movie. It's just difficult to tell a black story now, then or before. It's we're getting better at it. Where in some way, like whiteness isn't at the center of what's driving the plot. Either we're being held back because of it or we're trying to overcome it or whatever. That's why I loved Moonlight so much. Moonlight just ain't got shit to do with white people. <laughs> so, you know it's what I mean? True. Moonlight it's just true. ain't got shit to do. Moonlight ain't got shit to do with white people. Like nothing to do with white people, like at all. It's just a black story about black people living their black ass lives and the 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 journey of this young black man. So I loved it because of that. You know what, what? else doesn't what center white people? The what? color purple. Mm. Just saying, that's it's an good. example of it. The color purple does not center white people. The color purple doesn't center white people. They just made a better version of it. You know what I'm saying? So, gotta go. Ow. Ow. I love. I fucking with the color purple. I support the color purple. It's just I, I liked it. What you want me not to do lie and say I thought analysis, it was the, Not with your like you don't. You want me to lie and say I thought it was the best movie of the year? So no, it was I, cool. don't, I don't. I don't. I don't. I did not see it in the theater. I did not. I bought two tickets. Didn't see it in the theater, but I did watch it. Uh, they sent me a screener, and I watched it. Um. Go see The Color Purple. Have fun going to see the movie. Uh, all right. Uh, let's take a break real quick and come back and get into some DEI. DEI. Mm. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Okay, Rachel, when you get on a plane and you see a black pilot, are you scared? Can't even tell you the last time I got on a plane and saw a woman or a black pilot. But to answer your question, no. I'm more like, okay. So you don't get on planes and see black pilots that much? And I fly a lot. No. I can, count on Maybe one, I... I can count on one hand the number of black pilots that I've seen. Mm. I just I flew. also don't see pilots a lot. <laughs> oh, I, I just flew. And I had, going to Louisiana... I had a black pilot and coming back from Louisiana, I had a woman pilot, a lady. Do you look in the pilot. cockpit? Because I don't <laughs> see, come on, Van. <laughs> I don't see the pilots normally. Well, when you you're hear leaving, them, and sometimes I'm like, when, black. <laughs> when you're leaving, they're, they come out and they say goodbye. Not all the time. And I, and I say hello to them. I say, hello, pilot. How are you? Appreciate you. Thank you for, you know, getting us here safe. And then we get off the plane. 
You just don't have time to say hello. You no, just get off I the, always off thank the, the flight attendants. I, they're always standing there. I always say hello. Even if I slept the whole flight, I say thank you for your service. But I don't see the pilot a lot. Maybe if you're one of the first people off the plane in first class, like you sit, mm-hmm. then maybe the pilot comes out for you. But the rest of us, mm-mm. So wait a minute. So wait a minute. You're telling me that you think that the pilot comes out to say <laughs> goodbye to the first class passengers and then he goes, he or she uh, goes Dips. back in the cockpit and was it like, let the, the rest of these motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> he That's exits funny. the plane after the after first class. He or she. He or See she. what we're doing? He or she. You're right. See? You're right. I did it. I did it. We're, but we're, we're doing to your it. Point, yeah. I don't, I, I don't see pilots a lot, but when I do, I really can count on one hand. White guy looks like he, he flew in Desert Storm or some shit like that. But well, I'm look, excited when I see diversity in the cockpit. Um, I got to be honest with you. Uh, people are upset. They're saying that DI is going to stop pilots from being able to land planes efficiently. And they're scared to fly with women and Negroes. <laughs> uh, Charlie Kirk. Um, this is the new thing. Like yes. you guys have to understand, there's always a thing, right? So CRT petered out. They won maybe one or two elections off that, but it it didn't last. It didn't have legs to last all the way to 2024. Education standards had a little bit of legs. Book banning had some legs for the right, uh, but not marathon legs, sprint legs. And now we're to DEI, and DEI is going to be the thing that they're going to run on here in 2024. And they're saying that they're afraid. They're afraid to travel in the sky because of uh, unqualified DEI hires. Black men, black women, women that are flying these planes. Charlie Kirk was saying that um, it re- he really bothers him. He's afraid. Run the clip, Don. And that's why I think this United story and the DEI story hits so hard because we've all been in the back of a plane when the turbulence hits or when you're flying through a storm and you're like, I'm so glad I saw the guy with the right stuff and the square jaw get into the cockpit before we took off. (laughs) And I feel better now. Thank you. I mean, like, you want to go thought crime? Like, I'm sorry if I see a black pilot, I'm going to be like, boy, I hope he's qualified. Well, that's the you wouldn't have done that. You wouldn't have. You wouldn't have done that before. That's not an immediate. No, you wouldn't have done that. Who I am? That's not what I believe. It is the reality the left has created. (laughs) What world are we living in? I just am so sick of the shit. (laughs) I mean, first off, the DEI policies existed when Trump was in office under the FAA. This isn't something that just popped up under Biden. It existed under their Lord and Savior, Donald Trump, as well. But for some reason, you're triggered now when there's absolutely no evidence that creating pilots or recruiting pilots, excuse me, that aren't white means that it puts any type of passengers or flights at risk. I mean, do you realize how stupid that sounds that these airlines are more concerned with what they look people look like in the cockpit that they're willing to put themselves like or make themselves liable to have unqualified pilots fly these planes and possibly have lawsuits from passengers and families and be put out of business all because they're concerned about what people look like it's wild 
that they think uh, that they have now equated. We talked about DEI a lot. We talked about it in education. We talked about programs as we see states continuing to cut funding and programs across the country. But this idea that diversity, equity, and inclusion equals lack of merits or knowledge or intelligence, anything like that, is so wild that we continue to push this theory and there's absolutely no evidence that that's not true. I mean, that that is true. Hmm. Hmm. So I, I tried to look up numbers on this. Uh, I tried to look up numbers on how black safe pilots? you are based upon who's flying your plane, black pilots, whomever. <laughs> it's hard to find. Uh, it is. It's, it's difficult to find. I tried to look up some numbers. Um, there are some gender differences. Okay. Um, some gender differences there are. There have been studies on this. And I, these studies wouldn't have been, uh, wouldn't be stuff that people would look at now. But, you know, these studies go back like this 2001 and stuff like that. There's some mm-hmm. gender differences. Um, but not differences that are like market. The, the difference is why the plane crashes. Not if the plane is crashing more. Like uh, male pilots will, will, are, are uh, trade speed for accuracy sometimes. So a little mishandling and stuff like that. Um, it's like, it says right here, air crashes involving female pilots are mostly due to mishandling of the plane, while those with male pilots are more due to flawed decision-making and inattention. Mm. So it's not necessarily the rate of it. It's that pilots, pilot error is different based upon gender. And that kind of makes sense, right? I mean, the socialization and all of that stuff. Says male males trade accuracy for speed. They would rather do something faster than do it accurately. Women tend to be more cautious and pay greater attention to totals and rules. Uh, the authors say women may have mishandled planes because they had less flight time and experience on average than men. So there are stuff. There's are there's stuff out there that looks at cultural things when it has to when it comes to like handling planes. And there is stuff, right? Um, there is stuff. If you read Outliers, there's an instance in Outliers where uh, Gladwell makes the point that he believes that this one particular airline, uh, this one particular airplane crashed because the pilots were foreign. And the country that they come from, they have more of a respect for authority there. So as they were uh, coming in someplace in New Jersey, I believe. I haven't read the book in a while. They were running out of fuel and they they had them in a holding pattern. They were going back and forth, but they were running out of fuel. And rather than say, hey, we're running out of fuel, we need to land. They are they come from a place where they the air traffic controller is an authority figure. So they were waiting for the air traffic controller to notice their situation and they weren't being aggressive about saying, hey, we need to put this plane on the ground. Whereas, had that been American pilots, they might have been like, we don't give a fuck. There's less uh, allegiance to authority there. We don't give a fuck. We need to get on the ground right now. And so, the name of the chapter is like the cultural reason for for plane crashes and stuff. So, I'm not saying that like in all of this stuff that there's like a, uh, that culture doesn't have to do with what it is, how you do your job or when you do your job or, or, or whatever. There's always a cultural component to almost everything that you do. Uh, this group does it like this. That group does it like that. 
But what I am saying is that there's a deep, deep sickness, mm-hmm. like a deep sickness that exists on the right. Like a deep sickness. If there mm-hmm. was, if there was statistics, stats, if there was a conversation to be had about this, I would be willing to have the conversation. I'm not too precious about stats and information not to have the conversation. I did as much research on it as I could. It's mm-hmm. very hard to find. There's probably no difference. All of that stuff that goes into it. I'm into talking about it, like where you're safer, when you're safer, how you're safer, and how it, what I did find was other statistics that said black people are more likely to die in plane crashes than white people. <laughs> like, you, you, you know what I mean? I, I found some statistics that pointed to that. And I thought that that was interesting. And I was interested to look into why that might be. Okay. But the sickness is so deep on the right right now that I sometimes don't think that we speak to it enough. Because we write it off like that's just, that's just them talking. Like, listening to them talk Mm -hmm. and in that same sentence, listening to Charlie Kirk and the rest of the guys up there attempt to either walk that back or, um, sanitize it in some way uh, is interesting to me. The right is attempting right now to erode just the fundamental American trust in anyone who isn't a straight white male. Mm. And I know that we intellectually know that, but I don't think that we are emotionally confronting the idea of that. Intellectually, we know that, that they feel that way, but I don't think people really know what that does to the psyche of people. American society cannot operate with that type of mentality. It can't. Like, it was tried. It was tried. A society where only straight white males where they where only they mattered, it was tried. Mm-hmm. And it has been tried for a long time. And what it what it in, inevitably leads to is disarray, dysfunction, rebellion, um, people fighting for their lives, their existence, and 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 um and their futures in America. Like it doesn't work. It won't work. It won't work. Yeah. It's not going to work if only one group, it just won't work. The country will rip itself apart at the seams before that happens. Now, a lot of people listen to this and they're thinking, man, that's how it is now. I'm not saying that straight white males don't have the power in America. I'm saying that in order for American society to work, there has to be some understanding that everybody has a place and everybody can work and do jobs. The most... I'm struggling to articulate this because it's like the more I thought about it when I was looking into it, the more I came away thinking this is the end of the country. Mm. Like this is the end of the country. The the end of the country isn't about the end of the country isn't about uh, political fragmentation. The end of the country to me is about the the inability or the unwillingness for people 
to even recognize that the people that they share their community, their society, their country with are capable of doing things, average jobs. Like being a pilot, as much as it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an awesome thing to do, it's a job that experience lends itself to you being good at it. Flight time, where you flew, how you flew, the amount of equipment that you're, um, that you're familiar with, where you got your experience, how you do it. Like there's flight time that goes into it. There's there's the amount of planes that you've been on, the amount of different planes you can operate. There's certifications that go into it. This is a job that anybody can do. Well, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. That's it. No, I'm just saying like it's 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 like literally saying that only straight white men can be pilots is literally like saying only straight white men can make pizzas. Well, here's the thing. The people who believe what they're saying, I do think that there's this inability to see it any other way. The people who are actually pushing out this rhetoric, they don't believe it. It's a calculated move in order to make you fear something that's not like you and in order to maintain your hierarchy in this society. I do not believe that they think anything that they say, just like they say at the end of that clip. Well, like, I don't want to believe it's not my fault. I believe this. It's their fault. It's fear mongering what they're doing. And then you have people who listen to that, who don't do the research, who don't look it up. For example, United Airlines is what kind of stirred this all up because of something that their CEO said a couple of years ago. Well, the reason he was talking about DEI in regards to aviation is because especially since COVID, there has been a huge shortage in pilots. A lot of people either left the profession, didn't want to deal with it because of what was happening with the airlines. And when you look at the pool of who they're pulling from, who has access to have 1,500 hours of flights um, of, of, of flying prior to even being considered a candidate, when you they all look the same. That costs money. That comes You come from a certain socioeconomic status. So what they've done is create an academy that allows people who are interested in this and who look uh, different to be able to fund them, to be able to participate in flying. And they will have all the, and first off, you have to apply for it. So you have to have a certain knowledge and expertise. They give, they, you go through that training and then you qualify to become a pilot possibly. They're implementing certain structures to give them the knowledge for people who normally wouldn't or experience who wouldn't normally get it. So I'm saying all that to say to your point, I feel like what these people, the, the sickness that you're talking about, the people who are at the top who are spreading this sickness know exactly what they're doing. And they're doing it they do. to maintain. Yeah, yeah but I, I, I guess I'm more so pointing to you saying, you said something along the lines of like, they don't know, or I don't want to say, I don't want to misquote you. I believe the people listening don't care to know. They accept yeah. it so as their truth. So we should also say something about uh, when well, I'm pouring through all of this stuff and it's all jammed up in my mind, which is why it's coming out staccato. When I was looking at all this stuff, you know, the flight time that you need to be a pilot period has gone down over the years. The planes have become more intuitive. Yes. And they so the planes, the planes have become more intuitive. And so because the planes have become more intuitive, what you need to do to like, there was a time when you thought all your pilots were ex-military and all of your pilots had flown in the Navy. That's gone. That's actually been gone for a while. 
Like that's been gone for a while. Last year was the safest year in aviation ever. All of this stuff I'm looking up as I'm pouring through stats. It was the safest year in aviation ever. So if DEI is more of a thing than it's ever been, and last year was the safest year in aviation ever, I could make an argument that at least anecdotally, yeah, the more niggas that fly the friendly sky, the better shit goes. I could make an argument, at least anecdotally, last year, safest year, like one of the safest years, like zero stuff went down. Like last year, zero stuff. So I'm look, I'm just, it's, but once again, I'm just, it, it, on the right, you know, we got to get back into the whole thing, but on the right, think about what the narrative is. The narrative is we don't care about your history. We don't care about your experience. Mm-hmm. We don't care whether you work and we don't think that you're good enough. The essential message coming from the right right now, and I challenge anyone Anyone on the right to come on the podcast and debate this with me, anybody, the central message from the right right now is that black people's history doesn't matter. Black people's capability doesn't matter. Black people's ascension and concerns don't matter. Our academic scholarship doesn't matter. Who we are in this country just doesn't matter. And anytime we try to make it matter, it's unfair to white people. Yes. That is the central crystallized message coming from the right. And can I also add in re- in relation to what Charlie Kirk and all of them were talking about, they're also saying that all black people are the same. They all come from the same status. And in order to succeed, it has to have be related. It has to be related to DEI. Mm-hmm. The fact that he said, when I see a black pilot, I'm automatically thinking this. You have no idea if that pilot grew up with his parents uh, being able to afford to send him to flight school at a young age or he, you know, worked another job and was able to do that for himself. You assume that black people, the only way that they can succeed is through DEI. And that's also yeah. attributed to, you, to that. Sickness. You have no idea about that, about any pilot. Right, right. You don't know that about like you really, you it's wild to look at somebody sitting in the cockpit of a commercial airliner and then assume that they are qualified. I'm moving on. It's just, you just, you, you assume with the, the motherfucker that's up there that they kind of know what they're doing. And that, that assumption is what I'm, that's what I'm trying to get to. That assumption is part of the American trust. The assumption that you go to a restaurant and the people know how to cook is part of the American trust. Yeah. The assumption that you go to a doctor and that doctor is qualified is part of the American trust. Like there's a certain level of societal and communal trust that has to exist for a society to operate at optimal levels or actually at basic levels. And once you erode that, like purposefully, once you erode that, once that's actually gone, you just can't function. But also in his story, he's like, I see a black pilot. I'm like, man, hope he's qualified. And then what did you do? Get on the plane, take your seat, land safely and keep it moving. You know what I mean? Like, you're not even telling that part of the story. All right, go. Let's move on. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail from accepting payments to managing inventory. 
Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Entertainment stories. They're bringing back the Michael Jackson story again. Have we had enough? And have we had enough? I don't know. Uh, they so- did Jackson Family American Dream back oh, in the day. Whoa, 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 whoa. What's it called? It was The American Dream. The American Dream. I'm with, and it okay, is I'm sorry. fantastic. It was a TV series. Fantastic. Limited series. TV. Angela Bassett. Angela Bassett as... Uh, Catherine. As uh, Catherine Jackson. And then my homeboy from... Um, Cooley High. Welcome back, Cotter, as Joey. Oh. Yeah. Well, Cooley oh, High, welcome back, Cotter. I think I knew that. Hey, good. I'm, I'm glad you like it. Uh... <laughs> As Joe Jackson. And then Terrence Howard. Yeah. He played uh, Jackie. He was one of the Jackies. Played Jackie. Mm-hmm. Um, um, what's what's old boy's and name? Jason Thank Weaver. You. Jason Weaver As played a young, young Michael, Michael Jackson. I'm going to say this one more time, and I hope that everybody gets it, man. Jason Weaver is a le- living legend. Jason Weaver. I'm not going to disagree bro. with that. Yeah, because you can't. No. Y- a young Simba? Think about Jason Weaver. <laughs> I used to have a That's crush on him back in the day. Like it's uh, think about just think about Jason Weaver. Think about what Jason Weaver has accomplished, man. Jason Weaver did the Lion King. He was young Michael Jackson. This boy was cooking, is cooking. He got the shy right now, right? One call away with Chinky. You like that record? I do. One call away. <laughs> When I bet it better one call away. Okay, okay, really? let's let them take it. Hold on, that, that's, I got that. <laughs> okay. that's a, let's hold let on. look I, up Jason Weaver. I just hit that bitch. When I one call away, if you want to come, want to roll one call away. It'll make you mm. my baby. Chinky came on that bitch like he was Buddy Guy or something. Wanna oh, be I forgot my he baby. was in Drumline. Drumline? Jason Weaver. Oh, Did you watch Smart Guy? Uh oh, Smart not, Guy. Not him being in one of your favorite shows, Thea. Thea, <laughs> Thea Madal, Thea, Jason Weaver, Brandy. I'm telling y'all, man, is I want to have a whole show. <laughs> Seriously, I want to do a show like a live show where I just bring up people, like like in the Apollo or something, where we just talk about Jason Weaver. And Tisha Campbell. You know what I mean? And like people like this that that have done so much work, great work. Think about the career of a Tisha Campbell. Think about it. School days. Martin. My wife, because these people are little shop of horrors. Little shop of horror. Been doing this since she was a kid. Think about a Tisha Campbell. Think about a Robert Townsend. All oh. everybody want to go. Now you know, think, Meteor Man is one of my favorite. Movies. Think about a Robert Townsend, man. <laughs> think about these people. Think about your people. I know everybody want to talk about Leonardo DiCaprio. Cool. But think <laughs> about what a Robert Townsend has done. Think about Hollywood Shuffle. Think about Meteor Man. You know what I'm saying? Think about the parenthood. Think about oh, Robert Townsend. Think about these people. A Jason Weaver. A Tisha Campbell. How do we not put Townsend. the five heartbeats? How do we not say five heartbeats? You know what? I'm in. I'm in on the show. I'm in on the show. I want to do the show. I want to do a show. Just a live show where we just come up there. I wish that... See, if I was a billionaire, if I was like 
if I was if I was Elon Musk, I'd just be like, man, give 15 million to Tisha Campbell. <laughs> if I was Elon Musk, if I was, if I was, I'd be like, I'm not saying these people are doing good. They all got money. But I'm saying if I was, if I had that type of money, I'd just call Jason Weaver up. I'd be like, man, 30 million, bro. No. Go take your, give, take your family Give 30 million to somebody else. Give him, give him his flowers, but 30 million. Come why, on, man. See, come on. Why, come on. why can't, why, Jason Weaver deserved 30 million. Okay. He, he gave me $30 million dollars worth of memories. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I love these people. I love these I people. I do, too. Hold on, I just want to say, I love, everybody's listening to the podcast. This is bad podcasting right now. I'm saying, I, I, don't, I don't like these people. I love these people. These people are the people that I like. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I like Giancarlo Esposito. They give him his props. But I, I like these. These are the people I like. When everybody's talking about, oh, who do you like? Blah, 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 blah. When, you know what? When I, 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 I'm, I'm almost there. As a producer, we got a movie coming out. Once again, it's premiering at the Pan African Film Festival, directed, written by Boaz Yakin, Jerome Baum, Mecca. Our movie's premiering. But see, when I, next five years, I'm going to be one of the biggest producers in this game. I believe and it. And my movies, my movies going to have Tisha Campbell and Jason Weaver <laughs> and them bitches. Robert Towns <laughs> is going write to write and direct my shit. <laughs> we, we about to get our shit. Where is what he? What we about to do? He's hanging out probably somewhere counting money. He rich. All right. Uh, so back to the story. I'm sorry I went off on a tangent of how much I love these performers. It's true. Uh, Coleman Domingo is playing Michael Jackson's father in a biopic. Uh, the film is coming out April 18th, 2025. Coleman Domingo is, play, is playing Joe Jackson. Um, it's the father of Michael Jackson is eight siblings. And I can only hope that this part will be in the movie. Uh, which is one of Joe Jackson's which part? His, <laughs> Which part? It was Joe Jackson's uh, most enduring statements ever. Donnie, can you play it? I didn't know anything about him being sick, but regurgitating. But if he did regurgitate, he he regurgitated all the way to the bank. You know? <laughs> so bad. We gotta let it. We gotta retire that statement. It's so bad. <laughs> It's so bad. You know what? Listen, I go back to my original question. Wait, man, come back. <laughs> come back. <laughs> Every time you hear it, it's like the first time. Every oh, time. <laughs> yo, I can remember the first time I heard him say that. I'm like, yo, Joe, you got to be more serious about that. Those are <laughs> serious allegations, it. Joe. Yo, I apologize to everybody. I'm sorry. I'm not that woke. That's funny. This <laughs> nigga said, I didn't know nothing about him being sick or regurgitated, but he regurgitated my way <laughs> But like, didn't laugh. That's the coldest he part. He was serious. That's serious. He was serious. Now, I go back to my original thing. Do we need another Michael Jackson movie? As much as I love on, Coleman Domingo, you know, and and, and, and Michael's nephew is going to be playing him, which, you know, and maybe we need a palate cleanser because I feel like we had that flex movie and we do need mm -hmm. to see something more serious. Um, so maybe, maybe we are due for one, but I don't know. I don't know. For some reason, I'm not like 
super excited about this. I'm at this point generally against any biopic that is done by the family or the person themselves. Because if the family is telling the story of the person that, the, that what'd, you, what'd you say? Because you think it's watered down? It, it, it has to be. There's no, there's no way for it to not be. If the biopic is done by the family of the person or by the person themselves, it's not going to be good. Or there's only so good that it could be. Mm. So that goes for Straight Outta Compton. That goes for the Whitney Houston movie. It's a great segue to the next topic. That goes for Straight Outta Compton. That goes for the Whitney Houston movie. That goes for whatever it is. If they are doing it, that goes for this Bob Marley movie that's coming out right now. I haven't seen it yet, but my expectations of the movie is that there'll be some things that are missing from it because it's being told by the estate. Uh, And so to me, I, I think that's my thing. If I want a real look into somebody's life, I just don't think the family is good at telling those stories. I think don't think the estates are good at telling those stories. And so the closer it is to the actual person, to me, the, the I mean, the, if Michael Jackson's estate is telling this story, obviously we can tell you right now, and I'm not saying that they are, but I know that the family's involved, right? So if Michael Jackson's family, if the estate is telling the story, then obviously there are going to be parts of this. <laughs> And we don't even have to imagine which parts that are going to be glossed over. Well, that's the real problem. That's what you're really upset about. You're not going to get this scene. There's the no- scene? <laughs> you're not getting it. That's what you're really upset about. I got to be honest with you. It, 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 I personally think it's it's Joe's most enduring words that he said. It's honest. But, <laughs> but that tells you a lot about Joe Jackson. The Michael Jackson in that situation is talking about how upset he was and how performing made him sick and how Joe's treatment made him sick. And Joe said, if he was sick, he was sick all the way to the bank. <laughs> all right. NWA, you're familiar with them. I've heard, I'm assuming you've heard of them. <laughs> I have. NWA, of course, pioneering gangster rap group. Uh, Easy, Cube, MC Ren, Yella. Uh, Dr. Dre, okay? One of the most important rap groups of all time. One of the most influential rap groups of all time. Influential. One of the most successful rap groups of all time. Pioneers of hip-hop, gangster rap hip-hop, West Coast hip-hop. You can't overstate what NWA did uh, in terms of their impact. You can't. You can talk about whether or not it was good or bad, but you can't act like they weren't impactful. They are set to receive the Lifetime Achievement Award to 2024 Grammys. Uh, NWA will be among other recipients of the prestigious award, which will be presented uh, coming up here. Um, February 3rd at the Wilshire Ebel Theater in Los, Los Angeles. Other honorees this year, Gladys Knight, Donna Summer, love Donna Summer, the Clark sisters, Tammy Wynette, and Lori Anderson. According to the Academy, the Lifetime Achievement Award is presented by vote of the Recording Academy's National Trustees to performers who, during their lifetime, have made creative contributions of outstanding artistic significance to the field of recording. Rachel, some people are mad about this. Some people are saying that NWA's past, the violent music, the treatment of women in the music, the things that are in the music should not be celebrated to where they deserve a Lifetime Achievement Award. So, it's not some people, it's Black women. And there should be, and I, 
oh, you don't think it's just black women? Black women are very upset. Most of what I've well, seen, the people that are this critical tweet, of this. This, this is just, it's just interesting. This tweet that, that sparked this is from a black man. Interesting. That's not the tweet I was looking. I guess when I was looking at it, I was looking at old tweets of what people have said about hip hop and the strange relationship. See what just just happened? A black man put this on my radar. Please don't do this. I'm getting enough people. A black man. I apologize. I thought the tweet came from a woman. Most of what I've seen has been the outrage. Let me put this. Let me put it this way. Historically, the outrage has come from black women bringing it to light about how problematic the lyrics were from. NWA and its members and how that impact has had other people mimic that type of rhetoric in their music as well. You can't deny that. So in addition of them, yes, bringing political awareness and talking about racism and police brutality, they in addition, within that, we're also talking about women, particularly black women and their and, and being very sexist and misogynistic as well. And that too is something that has trickled down into rap and hip hop. And that historically has been talked about by black women. I apologize to the black man who tweeted that out. And I'm not saying they're the only ones. I'm just talking about historically. Y'all gonna come at me anyway. It's fine. Um, All right. It's interesting because a lot of times when you have these conversations about individuals being problematic or maybe their music being a little bit problematic. People talk about this thing of separating the art from the artist. But when it comes to NWA, they're connected. When you look at what was left out of Straight Out of Compton, when it was 25 years later before Dr. Dre acknowledged what he did to D. Barnes, I mean, there is a history of problematic behavior um, in Michelet and whoever else. Um, there's a there's a history of problematic behavior from particular members of NWA. And then they were actually speaking about this in their songs. So they were speaking to truth in their lyrics about police brutality, about racism, about political awareness. But then they were also being very truthful in the, in the way they were degrading black women. And so I understand the outrage that people have or how upset they are at the Academy, the Recording Academy, for wanting to honor this because you can't separate the way they talk about Black women or women from their music. So in a sense, you're honoring not just the influence that they've had on rap, you're also honoring what their music was about. The only thing I would say to that is, if you look at other people who've been honored for Lifetime Achievement Awards, There are other problematic people who have domestic violence and have been very abusive to women as well that have received this award. And it just seems to go in line with people try to separate the art from from the artist. I guess that's the line. I feel like I, I interviewed Harvey Mason Jr. one time and he even spoke to this because it was in regards to, um, oh my gosh, what is her name? Kesha and Dr. What's his name? Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke being nominated for um, a song for writing. And, you know, she's been very vocal about the abuse that she suffered at by him. And he was still nominated. And there was this conversation even by Harvey Mason Jr. about separating the art from um, the artist. It's just what people do. And I'm not saying it's right, 
but I don't think that it was going to, they were going to make an exception this time for NWA when they've given other people lifetime achievement awards who also have problematic behavior towards women or problematic lyrics or just historically have just been bad people. Hmm. Um, so the guy that pointed this out that I saw this was like, uh, it was actually retweeted by D Barnes. We should probably speak D Barnes's name here, speak to our, speak truth, love and light and safety over our sister D Barnes. She retweeted someone named at Truth Minister. That's T-R-U-T-H-M-I-N-I-S-T-A. So maybe I saw the retweet. I-S-T-A. Um, and so he tweeted, he tweeted this um, out and he's actually been on it for uh, a couple of days. He, the one tweet says, so women's groups were outraged about Bill Cosby, R. Kelly, and Jonathan Majors, but a silence about the fathers of rape rap in WA getting a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. Something else that should be said, when we're talking about uh, violence against women that was in NWA's uh, uh, music, we should be honest that some of that stuff has to do with like sexual assault and rape. Uh, yes. Not just, I mean, I don't want to say not just. I'm not, I'm not talk, we're not talking about oh, smack a bitch, a bitch ain't shit. We're talking about like, like some wild, 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 wild shit. And that's, that, that is on top of all the other lyrics about murder and about things like that. It it's, was the hardest of the hardcore rap that existed at that time. Of course, there were other guys out there that were making that rap at the same time. They were unapologetic about it and they were breaking through. Um, and making America look at some really ugly things, right? Um, and they weren't trying to be anything less than outrageous. This is what I would say. The point that you made when you came back around to it is the central point. The point is, if NWA's musical achievement doesn't allow them to go into uh, the Grammy Hall of Fame or get a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award, then we would probably have to reassess so many other people yeah. that, at Elvis Presley married a 14-year-old girl, you know? And so we'd have to assess that about a lot of different people, right? Um, and look at that. So I have less of a problem with them being given a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. I just think that their contribution to music and who they are merits that. Uh, I, have, I don't have a problem with that at all. What I do think, though, and I think that NWA, these guys, Dre and Cube and... Ren and the rest of these guys, because uh, besides Easy, I think they're also around in yellow. I think that there should be a conversation led by them and led by brothers of this era, right? Sure. It's not to excoriate them, a conversation led by them about what they felt like their music meant at the time, who they were at the time, and how they want to see the world now. And I think that is the only real way to get to some type of understanding here. And I'll tell you what, an opportunity was missed with Straight Outta Compton, in my opinion, for that conversation to begin. Because what could have happened in Straight Outta Compton mm -hmm. is the actual assault on D. Barnes could have been shown. The actual treatment of Michelle A. and other women, the, I, I guess, the, the, the cost of some of the music, the cost of some of the attitudes, the cost of some of the behavior could have been shown. And that could have started a conversation, a very deep conversation about that time in hip hop, mm -hmm. that time in our community, that time in our society, how we looked at it then and where we want to be now. But by sanitizing it, they didn't just erase the experiences of those women from the story that they told. 
they erase the opportunity to have the conversation in a robust and comprehensive way. It's a conversation we keep trying to have, but rather than have the conversation, I think it gets, uh, it, 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 it gets to be a problem because everybody's looking for a villain. Everybody's looking for a Lex Luthor or a Joker or someone like that. I'm just saying, because it's easy. When you have a villain in the movie, it's easy to say that all the evil that is happening right now is because of that person. If you watch The Dark Knight and then you take the Joker out of The Dark Knight, well, there's no story. Mm-hmm. Because everything that's happening in The Dark Knight is because the Joker is has a fucked up way of looking at the world. Yeah. Well, that's not how things are in the real world. The guy that's that, that's fucking up is sometimes your dad. It's sometimes mm-hmm. your brother. It's sometimes you. It's sometimes your friend. It's sometimes yeah. your sister. It's sometimes your mom. There's a community of people that are doing just enough bad and letting just enough bad slide for bad to continue. And the only way you legislate that is through conversation and through honesty. Mm-hmm. And so when the movie was somehow less honest than it should be, what it essentially said was there was really no problem with it. That there was no problem with some of NWA's music, that there was no problem with some of the ideas that were in it, that there was really nothing wrong with it, right? And everything else was for dramatic sake. And so for me now, I don't think that they shouldn't be allowed to be to be rewarded for the genius that they put across lyrically and musically. You can't tell the story of hip-hop without NWA. And if you're going to tell the story of hip-hop at the Grammys, you got to put it in there. But the reality is, for us, the community that has buoyed them, I think that era of rap, particularly that era of rap coming through, even when I watch Ain't Nothing But A G Thing and a guy runs up behind a girl and he and he pulls her 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 uh, bikini off, her breasts are exposed and then she runs after him. When I was a kid, the only thing I used to think about that was, God damn, I wonder why they blurred it. Like, I want to see her breasts. Now, when I was a kid, I want everyone to think about this. Ain't Nothing But A G Thing, the... The the video comes out. It's 1991-1992. The volleyball scene. We all know the volleyball scene. The, the sister's there. Beautiful black woman. Guy runs up behind her, pulls her shit off, and her breasts are exposed, and they're blurred as they're running around. When I'm a kid, I'm not thinking, oh, my God, how fucking embarrassing and humiliating for that woman. What I'm thinking as an 11 or 12-year-old kid watching the videos, I want to see her breasts. Is there a version of this where I can see her breasts? I want to see her breasts. There's nothing that's being taught to me about how wrong that is. There's nothing that's being taught to me about like how fucked up that is or what happened after. Like, what, like what's the deal? Nothing's like that going through my mind. What's going through my mind at that time is I want to see her breasts. That's mm-hmm. how you get to school and start playing games with these little girls. And that's how, that's part of it. So I'm droning on once again. I'm sorry, guys. But what I'm saying is that, like, we can put NWA into the Grammy Museum. But we also got to talk about this stuff. And we got to keep talking about it. And we got to keep talking about it. And we have to take accountability and responsibility for what we've tolerated. And they have to talk, take accountability and responsibility for what they put on wax. And that's a yeah. fair ass from them, the guys. Well, they, they, it- in addition to yes, and everything that you're saying is true. And in addition to that, and I don't know who does, who does that come from. Does is there 
a, a mark next to their name with the Recording Academy? Do they go back and do that for everybody else? Do they, is there a whole thing on the Recording Academy where they talk about all these people that have received this type of award, but then tell the other side of the story? Because what happens is, and what happened with Straight Outta Compton, if you don't know, about D Barnes, or you don't know about Michelet or any of the other things that, ha- or you maybe not aren't well versed in their lyrics. You take straight out of Compton as Bible, especially with a Dr. Dre and an Ice Cube behind it. So in a sense, you're almost re- becoming a revisionist and rewriting history because you're telling your auto, your story, your biography. And people are taking this, especially to a new generation, as, oh, this is what they went through. These are their struggles. You know, like, surely they didn't leave anything out. And your people are, you're building a whole new era where it takes out all of the violence against women. And it rewrites it. And and who's to say that's not what they were trying to do? I don't know. Hmm. Um, Probably, yeah. They probably know what... <laughs> you know what I mean? So... That's why I say, even with these movies, that's why when you make these, when they make these biopics, when the people are involved in family involved, I'm not, it it makes me less apt to fuck with it. Um, All right, Tim Scott is back. I can't. You love him. Uh, You you love him. (laughs) I just can't. Do we have to? Go ahead. What, Rachel? Why don't you just come to terms with that? Tim Scott is the man. I'm not doing I'm going to be honest with you. I had, speaking of people from South Carolina, be honest with y'all, man. I had people years ago reaching out to me telling me Tim Scott was all right. <laughs> you I'm did. I some of y'all about this. You did. I had people reaching out to me years ago telling me Tim Scott was all right. You said it on the podcast. Like they, You're like, I hear yeah. he's a good dude. I hear he's a good guy. People, people, people would say Tim Scott was all right. The Opportunity Zone stuff, which was uh, phantom gentrification, which we all kind of bought hook, line, and sinker which you really should have thought. I had people telling me Tim Scott was a good guy and Tim Scott has turned into mega coon. <laughs> this is like a, the whole Tim Scott situation to me, and you guys, I'm sorry. I don't know how else to describe it. It's a very, very ugly thing to say about someone. I'm sorry. I really am sorry. But this, watching Tim Scott in this entire thing, it's, let me tell you what it is, guys. It's not about politics. It's not. It's about weakness with Tim Scott. It's not about politics. Okay, Tim Scott's a black Republican. Fine. He's a black Republican. He's 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 bending the knee before Donald Trump. Fine. But God damn, it's like he's bending the knee and his knees are on his own balls. <laughs> like it's it, 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 I, it's there's a weakness. There's like a a gelatin spine. There's a bending of the knee. There's a there's a good old boy slap on the back head rub thing here that's like so viscerally upsetting to me. It's different. I even think like Byron Donalds is a big time Trump guy. I think Byron Donalds talk his shit a little bit better than Tim Scott. I think he he comports himself in a way. I mean, he it's different with him. Like it's it's different with him. I don't feel like he's as weak as a Tim Scott is. I don't fuck with Byron Donalds' politics at all, but at least I respect the, the fact that he stand on his shit. Tim Scott seems like the biggest weakling ever. <laughs> Al, uh, Al Sharpton, he agrees. He says that Tim Scott's behavior is humiliating. <laughs> There's no other way to describe it. <laughs> so this is what Tim said about Trump. 
two great senators, which is hard. I mean, did you ever think that she actually appointed you, Tim? And think of it, appointed, and you're the senator of his state, and she endorsed me. You must really hate her. No, it's, uh, it's a shame. It's a shame. Uh-oh. I just love you. No, that's, that's why he's a great politician. I saw some tweet where they put his face on Samuel L. Jackson's because it is giving Calvin candy. It is giving Django. <laughs> the Django. Mm-hmm. I can't. I, te- I gave it all in the last podcast. I mean, Tim Scott is Tim Scott. This is who he is. He's only going to get worse, especially as he is possibly being considered to either be vice president or have some position in the administration. Um, the way he's talking, he might be going to be trying to be secretary of education because uh, he's been doing that since last year. But I can't keep talking. I mean, Tim, he is who he is at this point. He loves Trump. He gave uh, him- <laughs> Trump. Who was it that time that said Trump was like a father to him? It Who wasn't was a black that? man. It, it wasn't a black it man. It was Kanye West. Well. Wasn't it Kanye West? I don't know. Wasn't it? What, 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 am I tripping? Did, did Kanye West not say that Trump was like a father to him? Kanye West. Hold on. Kanye West. Trump. Father. Did I just make this up? No. Kanye West, Donald, Kanye Trump, West, is a Donald Trump is a father figure. Yes, he said it. Who makes him feel like Superman? What is what does Trump <laughs> I mean, have for like, y'all niggas? Come on. <laughs> what what is what is Trump doing to y'all? No. What what is Trump doing to y'all, man? God damn, it's like Trump's nut has Hennessy in it or something like that. What is Trump doing to y'all? Tim Scott looks like a fool. Like, this is what Reverend Al Sharpton said about Tim Scott. Uh, there are a few uh, moments in my life I've been more embarrassed oh. than to watch Tim Scott, mm. uh, who, uh, uh, you know, I know Tim and I are both practicing Christians, but I don't know if he could pray like that to, to the <laughs> other side. I mean, it was humiliating to watch what Tim Scott did uh, as a sitting senator. Uh, and, and one time it wasn't even uh, he wasn't even on the script he interrupted Trump to pay homage uh and uh so I had to say that because it's bothered me yeah, all he's night doing it right here it says it's just that I love you Mr. Trump it's not that oh, I hate Nikki Haley it's just that I love you from Senator Scott it's uh not a good I mean, day <laughs> in, uh, in no. in my life to watch Tim do that I mean to think that mm. we fought to see people like him black becomes uh, uh, high elected in the South and to do that. He has a right to be a Republican, has a right to do Donald Trump, but to do it in such a way that uh, is so humiliating was troubling. Let's put it that way. I'm trying to be as nice as I can. (laughs) Castrating himself. He sold his soul. He has sold his soul for to be possibly the vice president. There's no turning back. By the way, the buck breaking happens on both sides, by the way. The buck breaking of black male political figures, it happens on the left, it happens on the right. The buck breaking happens on both sides. Tim Scott is being buck broke right now by Donald Trump, and this nigga loves the dick. I'm going to be honest with you. Okay. Loves it. He does. It's true. All right. 
uh, what else we got? It, oh, cryptocurrency. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> you know, we've had a lot of religious. I feel like we really in 2024 have had a lot of topics centering around religion. How do you like feel we, about religion we could right now, create, Rachel? We could almost create a, a segment at this point. Let me ask you a question. How do you feel right now in your life, Rach? How do you feel about your relationship with God? My, well, especially I'm going through my own trial and tribulation right now. I believe in faith and I believe in, in a higher being and I believe in prayer. And so I would say my relationship with God is, is a personal relationship that you, your first question was asking me about religion. With stories like the one we're about to talk to and some of the stories that we have covered, it's tough. Um, when you grow up, I grew up, and I've talked about this, in a very pragmatic, religious home. I got it at home. I got it at school. First Baptist Academy was a Christian school. Um, it was in my friend group. It was everywhere. And you almost become robotic in the things that you say about religion or the things that, because you know it, right? Like, you know that Bible verse. You know what you're supposed to say when you worry. You know, you know you're supposed to say when, when this happens. You quote this Bible verse. You, you talk about this parable. And it becomes routine where you don't feel it. And it's been interesting as I've become an adult and I've been challenged in different ways that I wasn't as a child, I've been able to seek out my own relationship the way that I want to. And it's not tied down to necessarily what I was told to do or what I had to do um, as a religion growing up. So to me, that makes it even more special. Um, when I see stories like the crypto pastor or I don't know, name them, name them. I don't know what else we've, the other ones we've talked about. It, it makes me question the people that create the religion, the people that are behind it. Because not that we all aren't without sin, but it seems to be so self-serving that for people who aren't Christians or attached to any other religion, I understand why they have issues with it. Because it seems more about self than it is about the community or the congregation, which is what they're preaching from pulpits. And so for me, my walk has become something more personal than it is tied to things that I was taught, if that makes sense. Mm. So what we're talking about is there's a pastor who's charged with cryptocurrency fraud, and he says that God told him to do it. He's a pastor in Denver. God told him to sell cryptocurrency that could not be cashed. He's facing civil charges along with his wife for marketing a digital coin that prosecutors say was practically worthless. And then he used the proceeds to go on lavish lifestyles. Uh, his name is Elegio Regaldo, Regaldo, and his wife, Caitlin Regaldo, charged Thursday in civil complaint, Denver District Court. This is him talking about it. If I can just communicate to you heart to heart and tell you how we got here, and, and it wasn't just like we had a million dollars sitting there and we decided to go crazy with it. So how this whole thing started is the Lord told us uh, in 21 to walk away from our marketing company and we have had a lot of success raising millions of dollars for different clients. And he said, I'm going to do a new thing. And then he took us into this cryptocurrency. It was a different cryptocurrency other than index coin at the time. Well, that cryptocurrency turned out to be a scam, to basically put it the, the best way I can describe it. 
And I said, Lord, I said, you told me to do this. Now there's people involved in this. What do you want me to do? And the Lord said, I want you to build this the way that it should be done. And so that original cryptocurrency was already overvalued by four times. And so the people who bought this, they were already basically forexed, leveraged on this. And so the Lord says, give that to them, but also give them a 10x. So if someone bought $1,000 worth of uh, index coin, we were basically giving them the index amount of $10,000. So a 10x on top of it. And I'm like, well, where's this liquidity going to come from? And the Lord says, trust me. So that's fine. So we keep moving along. God keeps confirming. God keeps showing up. God keeps opening doors. We're not even marketing this thing. People are telling people that are telling people, and it just comes in. And a lot of you were there from the very beginning, and you'll be able to relate to this. Well, as money is coming in. Cut this nigga off. (laughs) Cut this nigga off. It doesn't matter. Um, It it doesn't. It doesn't matter. Uh, Okay. So, look, let me tell you what I'm going through. Rachel's very well put, by the way, I would say. Um, And I do have something to say Hmm. about maybe something that's going on with you. If I'm allowed. Okay. Um, (laughs) I'm allowed. We'll see. We'll see. Exactly. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, Okay. So this is what I'm going through. And this is why the religion thing is, uh, is bothering me. So I, I look at this, you know, this guy, we've talked about like stuff that's going on that's happened. Uh, like God has always been hard for me. Like always been hard. I've always had to try. I think always. that makes sense. Um, because like I was always so inquisitive that I would ask questions that like people didn't really have answers to, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I would uh, delve into things that, um, that, uh, that would like vex the adults in my life. They would challenge the adults in my life. Um, you know, I, I would get stuff and I would ask my dad, I'd be like, well, say how, where, why. I remember one time uh, we were in class because I was just lapping everything up. We were in class and like um, the teacher tells tells us that, you know, the sun's going to burn out one day and the sun will supernova. The supernova star makes a black hole, whatever. And the sun's going to burn out one day. I'm like, so the sun doesn't last forever? And I remember I asked the teacher, I was like, well, what, what lasts forever? And she goes, well, nothing does. You know, like nothing does. Like everything has, there's a natural order of things and everything is subject to the natural order of things. And everybody else is looking around in the class and they're like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. You see a leaf brown on the ground, you know that that leaf was once green. It's just the way things go. I could not wrap my head around that concept. I'm sure there were other kids that could. I'm not trying to make myself feel. I just couldn't wrap my head around that concept. I'm all the way home on the bus, all the way I'm just looking at everything and, and everything I see, I just see decay. Mm-hmm. I see, I look at old people and I became obsessed with pictures of them like when they were younger. I just see, everything starts to look, I'm, I'm, like, I'm literally, I'm literally like eight or nine years old at this point. Mm-hmm. Everything starts to look old. Everything, I'm like, how did this building look when it was new? How did this Burger King look when it was new? And I started getting obsessed with like new constructions of things. Like how something looks when it's brand new as opposed to when it's been there for a couple of years. I'm just asking all of these questions about the cycle of life, 
like all of that stuff. And all that comes from like the divine order. And I'm trying to ask questions to adults and adults are saying, number one, asking these questions in and of itself are sacrilege. And number two, these questions don't do anything but make you worry. I've said this before on the podcast before. My dad's favorite, favorite, favorite saying when it revolved around me was, damn, that boy always worrying about something. (laughs) He always worrying about something. That boy don't do nothing but worry. That boy don't do nothing but worry. And literally the only thing that saved me from that, from going through that angstiness all throughout my high school years were breasts and ass. Okay. Once girls got involved, and I'm just being for real, once girls came into my being, I just had something else to just obsess about. Fixate on. I still yes. was fixate on. I was still deep into movies. I was still deep into that. But, you know, I would come home and I would watch MTV's The Grind. It, it like uh, MTV's The Grind or I would see Ananda Lewis on Teen Summit and just it just wouldn't. It, it, it was gone. It just, it was gone for a while. And then post-college, not post-college, but like after high school, when I'm back into my, deep into my intellectual brain, and also high school is very competitive and you're trying to keep up with your classmates, you're doing all this other stuff. This is a lot of stuff in my brain. It kind of all came back. I'm saying all this to say this. My relationship with God has always been one where I had to feel God. Like I had to feel God. Like you could never tell me God. Mm Mm-hmm. Like you could, you could never tell God to me. You couldn't mm-hmm. because none of it ever made sense, right? Because I see you. Like I know you. You're telling me, but I know you. I know you. Like I'm, I'm with you. I'm around you. I, I've told the story before. One of the holiest rollers I ever was around in my whole life. We're at Jefferson Lakes apartment complex. It's Christmas Eve. We walking down the the sidewalk. We see a a wallet on the ground. The wallet's full of money. It's full of money. It's right outside one of our neighbor's houses. The wallet is like literally full of money. And I'm like, I bet that's for homie right here. Go knock on the door. I never forget. He goes, nah, what you mean go knock on the door? You keep that. That's it's Christmas. That's a Christmas blessing for you. I'm like, a Christmas blessing for you. I'm like, bro, this man might be going out to like go buy his kids some fucking, uh, some fucking toys today. It's Christmas. And this is one of the holiest roles I've ever... Nah, that's a blessing. Would you <laughs> at least try to see what he's going to give you? Take a hundred out of it. Is that, that motherfucker fat? I'm like, nigga, what? I'll walk on the door, knock on the guy's door, give him his wallet. He's looking like, oh, shit. He might have been there doing something he wasn't supposed to be doing. He's looking like, oh, shit. I'm like, yeah, bro. Be careful, man. Somebody might have had some gifts on you. He's like, you need anything? And I wanted to take a couple of dollars because I didn't have no money. But I didn't just to spite my cousin. Just to mm. spite this guy who always preaching to me. I'm like, nah, I don't need that. That's good. It's for your kids, man. So, like, my thing with God was I've always felt a pull to the supernatural. I've always felt a pull to God. Yeah. I've always felt comforted by God. I've asked God for things and God has given them to me. I have to admit, the last three years, I'm in the void, man. Like, I'm... I'm like drifting. I'm out here. I'm trying to figure things out. Like, I didn't put so many people in the ground, man. And it's like, it, it's, uh, it, it's, there's just so much going on that I'm, I'm, I'm detached. The energy, I, I like, I, I need something. I need these people to be better. 
Now, I need them, the people, I need everybody who is, who's been saying this all this time. I didn't need it before. I need them to be who they say they are now. Mm-hmm. Because like, because now it's like, it's, and this is why like, uh, I think that I've been talking about this a little bit more and a little bit differently recently because like, I need help. Like I, I'm, this podcast is not therapy for me. It's not, uh, uh, I have a therapist. I just talked to him. He's a great therapist. One of the best therapists I've ever had. I have a therapist. It's great. But like, I feel like we in the ninth inning. I feel like people need it now. They people need it. It's not before in the eighties and the nineties, things were bad, right? But the country was different. The community was different. You got more accidental fellowship than it feels like you do now. And for people that say I'm out of the loop, I just was back home. I just was in Louisiana. I've been in Louisiana back and forth, going b- back and forth the whole time. I'm, I'm there. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to people. I'm talking to family. I'm talking to other people. I'm trying to, the, the whole thing like is, is, is like, it's gone. Like my dad, when my, when my dad died, like my dad had, my dad carried two Bibles and he would say that he carried one Bible for himself and another Bible uh, in case someone needed it. I got both of the Bibles here. When I, when I went through his truck, he had both of the Bibles. Mm-hmm. So he had, he, he hadn't found anybody to give the other one to. Like, I'm like, I need y'all to be better now. Like, I need y'all to, I need Who's to see, y'all? I need to feel it. The people that claim to be, that their lives are led by mm. the word, the actions, and the example of Jesus Christ, or God, or religion, or Yahweh, or whomever, like, I need inspiration. Like, I, like I'm, I'm for, for the first time in my life, the connection that I have felt with something higher has been replaced with pain and anguish and loss. I've never not gone through that, but I'm in the middle of it now. Like I only, I only ever feel God in my grandmother's living room. Oh, that makes so much sense. Like, it, like I'm in the grand, the I house with, with, with my grandmother and my mom. And I look at those two women and I go, God made them. When I'm with Crystal Ellis and Geraldine Ellis, when I'm with those two women, I look at those two women and I go, God made them. They, they could not exist but for God. Just because of... You're making uh, me emotional just, when you say uh, that. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just, uh, I just felt that. That like really made me emotional. I'm sorry. But, yeah, so uh, th- that's when I feel like, okay, I'm okay. Like that, that like that's, that's, that's yeah, when I feel that. that. Other than that, I'm I, I'm drowning and none of these people it feels like it's all bullshit. I think I just, it, it, it does it, it does, man. Sorry. It's okay. I love my grandmother so much. You just made me you're so right. You're just so right when you say that. Like I just yes. I think that and maybe the question is for you. I guess I just Maybe I learned from a young age, and I think I've said this on the podcast. If not, I definitely wrote about it in my book. Of um, I experienced a pastor who impregnated somebody in the congregation, mm-hmm. had a baby, 
Yeah, and I saw it at 10 years old. I saw it divide the church. I saw all of that. And I guess I learned at a young age. I, I had not learned yet about developing my own. I, I learned that earlier. I still did kind of what I was told. But I saw the imperfections in the people that lead it and kind of learned to not put so much faith in the person and that it was bigger and above that. I saw it of like how problematic and self-serving, how people are manipulative with the word to benefit their own agenda, young. And it, and it always stuck with me. So when I see some of the things that are happening, like that we've talked about on this podcast, or like this crypto pastor, I guess I'm just always like, it's above them. I never really thought of it that way. And that's why I, I guess I mean about developing my own relationship and, and doing it that way, because I still need it but not necessarily from that person because they're problematic. They're they like they're people. Does that make sense? I, I, I don't know. Even listening to you it, saying, no, 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 even it, listening to no, you no, talk no, about it, people, I'm like, you got to look past them. People are flawed. People are bad. I, I think I, I do. I think more so what I was saying is that I am probably at the point right now where I do need like a little help just trying to understand everything. And it, and it's like, cause before really, man, look, like I've talked about, I joked about like the, the panic attack I had in Brobridge, the, the legendary Brobridge panic attack. <gasps> Brobridge? I didn't know that's where you were. Yeah. So we're on our way to, uh, to see Glenn play. Shout out to Glenn Davis, my first cousin, by the way. Glenn, don't get in no trouble. I love you, brother. I love you, man. I love you. Bitch. I love you, little cuz. Don't get in no trouble. I love him. What a, what a great guy. Um, like even that, like being around him and then being around my uh my uncle Ray's son and like talking to my uncle Ray's son, great kid named Bishop. And I'm down there, I'm talking to Bishop, and I'm telling Bishop, I'm like, yeah, Glenn Davis, that's your cousin. And I'm talking to Bishop, and Bishop doesn't cut off from his family. It's like there's just so much work to do for these young men that are in my family, there's like so much ball dropping that have been, that has been done uh, for a long time. I look at him and I see his fucking dad in him. And it's just, I see his fucking father. Like he doesn't even know the version of his father that I knew when I was a kid. I, it's so odd for me getting older. Like I see your dad. Like I see your dad. I see the guy who taught me how to ride a horse. I see him in you. I just want you to have everything in the world that you need to have. And so I start, since I don't know how to be an uncle, I just start buying shit. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just, I, I want you to feel like somebody with your last name loves you. Mm-hmm. And then I, I feel that way then, then I come back here and I, it's just, it's just weird. But um, what I was saying is that like, you know, when I'm, I have the panic attack, Ryan freaks out. I love you, Ryan. If you can hear this. Thank you for helping me that day. Ryan freaks out. I freak out. The fucking, uh, the the fucking helicopter comes, pick me up. They put me in the helicopter. They fly me to the hospital. They don't know what's wrong with me. The, the three hundred twenty pound man is is his heart rate is one hundred ninety, and he's not doing anything. They have no idea what's going on. I'm telling you, I'm in the. I was fine before I even got to the hospital. I'm in the thing, and mm-hmm. something just went. You're okay. I'm like, you're okay. Like something went, you're okay. Like I'm right here. I was by myself. Like something literally went to, something literally went, you're all right. You're all right. Just calm down. 
you're okay. And yeah. I remember I almost popped out of a trance. I picked up, I looked up, I could see my heart rate on the little thing that the medi that the that the medical helicopter has by the thing. I could see my heart rate on it. I could see them talking. They're talking about whether or not I'm using cocaine. Oh. Like I started to be able to hear everything, right? I started to be able to hear, like it broke me out of my trance, like something comforted me. And by the time I get to the hospital, I remember we come to the front of the hospital. Uh, I'm not trying to make anybody believe in miracles. I'm just telling an actual thing that happened to me. Yeah. By the time we get to the front of the hospital, uh, the doctor, uh, by like we, we, we get there and they're willing me in. I'm literally on a gurney and they go, uh, well, he's right now. And the doctor goes, we're admitting him. He flew here on the thing. Like we're admitting him. And so I'm like, okay, cool. I go in there. By the time, by the time they get me, by the time I get in there, the blood pressure's fine. My heart rate's come down. I've had an anxiety attack, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but so, and they're like, they're, they're like, he's fine. The boom, boom. Everybody comes out. Ryan, Ian, Gino come out. Um, everybody's in, by the time I get there, it's been whatever time. Everybody's in Lafayette. They didn't drove up. Um, and like, I'm holding on to that. And that, and, and that stuff like that, is like why I just came out to LA, like why I was able to leave all my family. All I never felt like I was by myself, and now I feel like I'm by myself. Well, that was faith, and I'm, and 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 I'm like now, now I feel like I'm by myself. I feel like I'm by myself. I feel like I'm just out here, and and everybody. And there's an ask from everyone. There's a thing from everyone. There's always something for me to measure up to. There's always something to fix. There's always something to do, and I'm trying to lean on something. And all I see now are people that are so fake and broken and full of shit. And, and I, I, I'm kind of, I don't know what to do. I, and I don't know specifically what to tell you to do, but like even going through, you know, the things that I'm going through right now, I keep, le- I have seen my friends show up for me and my family obviously too. And that has given me the strength to keep going, like leaning on them and my circle and people I trust and I feel protected and I feel safe and that encourage me even when I can't see beyond the next thing. It's like honestly given me more than I thought. Like it's like, like what's the word I'm trying to say? It's um, strengthened my, my faith, not Maybe mm. a little bit in humanity, but just staying with the people who know me and get me, right? Like even right now I'm in Aspen and this was, I had a couple of girlfriends who were going on a trip already here. They're like, hey, if you just get your flight, like we already have the room. This will be great for you to get away. You can just surround yourself. And it's been healing for me, you know, waking up in the morning, just like with my girlfriends and just talking. And it's like friends looking out for me has just like really, it's given me a lot of hope. So I don't know if that's what you need. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, but it's really been yeah, helpful for yeah. me. Yeah, I get it. Like life, life is a. There's a know, lot right life now. Is, I mean, life, life is good. Like, like no, life is good. Like things are going well. Like things are moving well. Things are going well. But the, the questions that I'm asking now are. They're different. Like, bro, like it, it always before was about. And we'll get off this, but it's always before it was always about like, man, how am I going to be? I remember I used to ask my question. I used to ask myself at 28. I just woke up and was like, how's it going to happen for me? Like, what's going to happen? I like, well, like, how's it going to happen? Like, I'm 
I'm you know, I'm playing a lot of basketball. I'm writing. I'm doing all of this stuff. But is it ever going to happen? Am I going to be like 41 or 42 years old, uh, still trying to get something sold, still trying to do this, like still trying to, how's it going to happen? And then just the faith, I've always just been guided to do the thing and not care about it because I knew that I was moving in the right direction. I knew that something was there for me, that there was something for me to grab, that there was something for me to go towards. Like I never questioned the way my steps were ordered. I just always, and now it's like almost to a point, it's uh, it's like Yoda could not <laughs> see the future of Anakin Skywalker because the dark side was clouding it. Like Yoda could look and Yoda could look into the future and kind of see what was kind of going to happen to you. But like the dark side clouds everything. Like you can't, I can't see what's going to happen. And that was because fucking Skywalker and Palpatine were up to some shit. Palpatine was, was, was up to some shit. He was clouding the Jedi on purpose so that they can see that this nigga was going to become Darth Vader. So I don't know. I kind of feel that now. And now it seems like all I see from that side is a lack of compassion. Yeah. I see like people that are supposed to be godly that are chronically on social media judging people yeah. that are tearing people apart, that are politicizing God that it's just no, there's no love. There's no, there's nothing to fall into. There's nothing to actually believe in. There's only something to fear. And I never felt like that before. They really, 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 really dropping the ball. And so I might block everybody that talks about God on social media besides a couple of people. There's one guy, uh, uh, the It's Revlon guy. I know y'all don't like him when he says, stop scrolling, I'm about to pray for you. I know that it, it gets annoying sometimes when he does that, but he comes through, my man Brian comes through. I, I don't know. Oh, anyway, uh, that's enough of that. That's enough of that. Um, take thing caps off. I'm sorry we got heavy at the end, but do not stop learning. I am Van Lathan Jr. I'm Rachel and Lindsay. Bye, guys.